welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. So today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about family traditions, okay? We're in Acts chapter 18, verse 23. We're continuing there. And, you know, every family has different traditions. Here's some humorous ones. Uh, there's actually, uh, I looked online, found some interesting family traditions. This guy, when, when he went to his wife's family's house for the first time, uh, after dinner, they had this Tupperware that they would pass. And just like mints, you were supposed to take a vitamin. But the only thing is, it was like that. It was like, you didn't know what it was. You just take one. You know, it's like the healthy thing. And so I'm sure at some point it just kind of happened and you did that. So if it's your family, forgive me. Uh, or, if, or if you do that, right? Because it's your tradition. It's your family. You're, you're allowed. The next one is, is this guy wrote, growing up, their family never would refrigerate leftovers. So you'd have dinner, and if it was pizza, you'd just leave it in the oven. And, or if you had fast food, they'd leave it in the microwave, like for days or whatever. And the kids, once they grew up, they said, this may cause a problem. You know, like, this may be a bad thing. Um, you'd, be, you'd be happy to know that, like, my family, not those traditions, growing up, like, we had a tradition on Christmas Eve. Like, we'd open one gift. Uh, we could open one gift. That's, and now, most of the time, I would be kind of figuring out what things were, so I knew which one I would open that, that, that night. Michelle and I, believe it or not, we have a tradition of walking to the mailbox. And you're just like, what? You guys are weird. And, but we started when our kids were little, and we would, uh, you know, just like, no time, you know, alone. Okay, let's get time alone. And, and then when we were planting a church in the central coast of California, I was working another job full-time. It was just crazy time. We never had any time. So we would just walk to the mailbox together. So we'd get that two, three minutes uh, just to do that. So it's, it's a tradition we have. And we still do it now, even though we have more time. Uh, my grandfather, CJ, from Green City, Missouri, uh, he, he and I had a tradition that about once a month or so we would have lunch, and uh, he was in Central Cal- or, uh, Southern California too, and when we would have lunch, we'd get to the end of the meal, and we'd always be the same thing. He said, now, Cody, are you going to have dessert? And I said, well, I suppose I will if you have some, and he said, okay, I'll have some too, and it just every time, and then we'd always get the, the same dessert uh, and, and walk through that. Well, the New Testament clearly shows that what, what Jesus has built in his church is a family. So that's why if you get like emails from me or different things, typically we'll say, hey, hey, family, how's it going? And so we really see ourselves. That's even part of our focus is that our focus is building relationships with God, family, and the community. And so this is family. The church is family. And uh, in the New Testament, it says this in 1 Peter, one of the first followers of Jesus, he said, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. As we watch Paul walk through, we see these, these characteristics of families, traditions that the church has and the things that we're about. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for your presence. And we ask that you would move beyond our defenses, God, that we might hear from the real you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach, um, that you would um, speak to our hearts, God, that you would uh, bring us back, draw us back. Those that need wisdom today, let them hear wisdom, God. Um, Those that need hope, let them hear hope, God. So have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so a quick review of, of where we've been and where we're going. We're walking through Acts, and it starts out just in the area of, of Jerusalem. 
uh, off to the right here of, of the map, um, down to the right corner. And, and so what happens then is, is that for the first eight or nine chapters, you've got just the, the church kind of in that area that Jesus walked and lived. But then it starts to slowly move out from there. And, and then this guy, Paul, comes to know Jesus, and he takes four missionary journeys. And so he's on his third missionary journey now. Uh, and so he's in the area of Asia, if you see up there. And so he's traveling around in that area. That's what we're going to read about today. Uh, and we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 18, verse 23. So it says, After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by, gra by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So the first thing that we see here is, is, is that we see that uh, we're a school and a hospital. So we learn and heal together. That's what the church is all about. It's not a place of anybody that's arrived or that's gotten there, but it's a place that we're learning and we're getting healed up. Jesus spoke to some of the religious in his day. He said, you know, I, I've come for the sick, not for the healthy. And, and the religious walked away, see, we're okay. But in actuality, the healthy person is one that knows that they need the doctor, knows that if something's wrong, they, they need help. And so uh, we see that continue on with Paul. What he, what he does is that he goes around strengthening uh, different churches. He's strengthening the disciples in verse 23 and in building up of other believers. And so... Um, in our culture, we have a super hyper-individualistic culture. And you wouldn't think it because we have so many different ways to connect. But really, at the end of the day, the, the mode of the culture is that it's all about me. It's all about me getting to where I want to go. And if you, know, if you add to that, great. But if you take away from it, you know, I'm done. It's, re it's really about me. So in the midst of that, Jesus, for 2,000 years, has been offering a different way. A way that really spiritual maturity which is true maturity. I don't know that you can be mature without being spiritually mature. He offers a way that it's, it's not individualistic, where it's just this hyper thing of building me up, but it's actually something of, it's plural. And so you see this plurality of, of health. And so the church is where we learn to die to ourselves. Welcome. You learn to die here. Jesus talked about it. He said, if anyone would be my disciple, let them take up their cross and come after me. And so you think to yourself, well, gosh, when have I ever had to do that? Just join a local church. That's where it gets worked out. Uh, one person said that, you know, uh, Christians uh, getting together is like porcupines trying to snuggle. Get it? You know, we, we come into the church and we have, we have our baggage, we have our wounds, we have our labels, we have our imperfections, and then we bring that together in a place that we're supposed to learn and heal together. And so it's built in that we work that out in the church. And so that's, that's really what the church is about, learning and, and healing, one of the things. 
Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 19 says this. It says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads, um, uh, actually up above. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. And so Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. And they were, they were troubled. I mean, they had problems. I mean, they were a church that really wasn't getting it. And he's just like, hey, everything we do, we're going to try to strengthen you. That's what we're about. And then Romans 14, 19, it says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And then lastly, Ephesians 4, 12, it says, to prepare God's people. So before this, it talked about uh, how God had given pastors and elders and, and all these prophets and these people to be able to equip the people for what? To, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so the, the target is different. The target is absolutely different within, um, you know, the church. It's not just about me doing it individually. See, spiritual maturity is something that we do together or not at all. So I can't go off on a mountain somewhere and, and, and just kind of lean in to God and just say, okay, now I'm spiritually mature because I've spent time doing this or fasted or done disciplines because my maturity is always linked to everyone else. Even if I truly do mature off on my own, if the rest of the body is immature, I am not mature. It's lacking. See, the final goal is not our individual spirituality in relationship with God, but the final goal is the mutual and corporate growth of the whole body. And so when we do anything, it always has to do linked up with everyone else where there's learning and healing. So this word here in verse 28, uh, Colossians 1, 28, verse 29, it, where it says in verse 28, it says fully mature in Christ, uh, that word is teleos, and it means like it's like reaching its end. It means mature, perfect. And the only time that it's used in the New Testament that it's not plural, so it's always used plural besides twice. One time is, is where it's just a rhetorical use to be able to show the contrast of something that it's supposed to be plural. And the other time is in the negative sense. And so anytime that mature is used for spiritually mature for people, Christians in the New Testament, it's always spoke of it in the plural sense. In other words, it's something we do together. It's not that I can just say, I have my relationship with God and it doesn't matter about you or how you're doing. We interact together. This is, for me, this is like as I became a pastor and, and started serving and, and trying to figure out what I was doing. Uh, I saw this video recently, you may have seen it, and it shows this shepherd walking along a road and somebody pulls up and the shepherd is, 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 is walking with the sheep and, and all of a sudden the sheep run over the shepherd and, and just trounce him. And then the shepherd, actually maybe a woman, she, she's getting up and then this ram turns back around and runs her over again. And so some of that kind of stuff happened. I said, what am I doing here? What, you know, what, you know, and, and you may have experienced that in church too, right? Where you know, you're kind of like, hey, I'm wounded. What are you guys doing? You're supposed to be helping me here. So I started to say, you know, what am I supposed to do in the church? Like, what does it look like putting feet to what I'm supposed to do as a pastor? Because it's not to entertain. It's not to just play games. It's not to be a cruise director. But it's actually supposed to do something. So I found my meaning in this. Paul writes this. He says, he is the one we proclaim. So speaking of Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that's it. I said, that's it. That's what I'm going to give my life to, is that I want 
all those that I come across, all those that God brings for me to love and serve, is that I want to present them fully mature in Christ. Is that they would grow into that. And it says, to this end, I strenuously contend. It's like this wrestling, okay? But it's with all the energy of Christ so powerfully works in me. And that gave it to me too, is that, oh, it's not about me making this happen, but it's about God's work in me working this out amongst other people. So, and this is not just my responsibility, but it's your responsibility too. So as you look out amongst the people to your right and to your left and and the other people that you know within the church, it's your responsibility to proclaim Christ to them, to admonish them, to teach them, to help them, and to work within the energy of Christ that's within you to help present them fully mature in Christ. It's actually our responsibility. This is something that we do. It's clear, like when we have children in our homes, that most of the time it's clear that I'm supposed to help them mature. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to help them reach an end, right? You think of, we always think of 18. As my sons quickly approach 18, I realize that now there's, that's a certain time period, but in actuality, I'm, I'm realizing that there's just stages, right? When they're, when they're young, uh, you know, your job is just kind of nurture. And then when they become toddlers, your job is just to help them from harming themselves. Uh, you know, when they start walking and stuff and doing things from falling over. And then you become sheriff because they're just, you know, overrunning the, the place. And, and then as they start to move into teenagers, you start to realize that telling them things doesn't work. And so you start to become... Uh, you know, kind of sheriff coach, you know, kind of asking questions. And then as they move on beyond, you're, you're getting them somewhere else and, and helping them and, and partner and coach and those things. And so, so you have an end. And so it is within the church. So as you look around, if you see somebody struggling, if you see somebody hurting uh, that needs to be healed up or needs to learn, take it upon yourself to care for them. You know, uh, we, we, it's, it's about being responsible, what I've found is, is the more responsible we are with the information that we learn, the more that Jesus will entrust us with more of his stuff, more of who he is, more of his riches, more of his love, more of his care, as we are responsible with the information that we have, which means that when you hear about somebody that maybe is struggling in the church, or you hear that maybe somebody's walked into some sin or gotten themselves in trouble or doing something stupid, okay, we, we all do those things from time to time. How can I be responsible with that information and help them heal and learn? Well, I make this my end. My end isn't to talk about them. My end is to care for them and to help them. And so that's what, that's what we do. So Jesus in the New Testament really speak of the spiritually mature in this way, right? Because we need to give some sort of parameters for it. Uh, well, it means spiritually mature would be loving as God loves, okay? So if, you say, if somebody says, well, I'm growing in Christ, well, what's growing? Well, really, it's our capacity to love like Jesus, right? We watch Jesus and we say, wow. He just absolutely loved everybody. And even the people that were, um, they went after him and, and, and were against him, he spoke honestly with them and so that he could love them, so that they could get right. We just see how Jesus loves, that he loved the unlovely and the people that were outcasts and the people that were set apart. Jesus loved them all. And so, my capacity grows to love if I'm spiritually mature. And then also continued growth. I'm a lifelong learner. I, I don't arrive. Uh, if, I, if I feel like I've arrived, then, then, then I probably haven't. 
Uh, and then also to knowledge of God's will. So in other words, what's important to God? What's important to God in my church? What's important to God in my neighborhood, my workplace? What's God's will in those places? And then two, a life consistent with God's will. So in other words, when I look at my life, others look at my life, it's, it's lining up with what's important to God. I'm not steering things, God is. And also too, here's something important. Those who are mature will realize that they are not mature. Right? realize that I need Jesus. I am still a work in progress. I am clay that's being molded by God. Okay, and then um, we also see that this was demonstrated with Apollo. So we read in this passage, right? What does it say about him? It says, it says that he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. So uh, he had spent time studying. He was bright. Uh, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Yet, he only knew the baptism of John. And so there was a huge portion. He taught about Jesus accurately, but he didn't know about the kingdom of God. He didn't know about this invasion of the you know, stuff of God now. He knew about what, what John taught, a, a thing of repentance. But he really lacked the idea that God comes and lives in you now. God comes and takes up residence in you now. So Apollos' doctrine, while he spoke of Jesus clearly, probably had some works mixed in, probably had some, some, some different temple stuff still mixed in. But they work with him, these wonderful Christians, and they come to him and, um, and they explain to him uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the better way. And, and there's great results. It says that he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And quite honestly, you guys, you look at this, I mean, he's the equivalent, Apollos is the equivalent of, you know, some, you know, major, big, huge Christian leader. And, you know, everybody's like, wow, they, you know, they know this, they know that. But he erred in some way. And that's the heart of the church, you guys. It's for everybody. That everybody would say, I'm here to learn and I'm here to be healed up. And, you know, if, if, more, if more leaders within the kingdom of God would, would be humble like Apollos, we wouldn't have so many train wrecks where people get off base and hearts get wrong and there's people falling in those things. It's when we don't make ourselves available to other people to learn or to get healed up that we get ourselves in trouble. And so also, too, next we see that we are an army, okay? So the invasion of God's kingdom continues. That's what we see in verse uh, chapter 19. So Paul was here, the stuff's going on with Apollos, and now he's traveling around more on this third missionary journey. And, and what we see is that in verse 8 of, of, um, of chapter 19, it says he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, it says that in verse 11 and 12 of 19 that God extraordinarily... God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So that's amazing, right? God's doing this stuff. And yet Paul stays humble. It's, it's, he's not sitting there like, here, take my handkerchief, here, do this. Because you'll see some of that today. What's happening is, is that God is just being gracious. He's pouring out his grace. He's pouring out his love upon all people just in doing great things. And how is this an army? Well, it's, it's taking ground, right? Anytime you see this where, where, where people are sick uh, and they're cured or evil spirits were there, well, then that's taking ground from the kingdom of man and kingdom of Satan. 
And so that's why the church is an army. Like we do battle together. It's something that we do. And when we forget that, that's where we get ourselves in trouble too. If we forget that we're within a battle, and it's not a, it's, here's the thing. It's not about battling against current culture. The Bible's clear there are battles not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so the, the, the physical world is just so in our face that we think that that's the, the present reality, the strong power. But in actuality, the, the spiritual realm influences the physical realm. And so we have to always be aware of that, and especially within the church. John Wimber said a quote. He said, you know, my brother is never my enemy, even when he acts like it. And that's a picture of the church, because you have those outside the church, but then you have within, where somebody will do something, and, and it'll really hurt. And there's a book by John Bevere, and it's, it's called The Bait of Satan. And it talks about how offense is the bait of Satan. So in other words, when I get offended, if you say something to me, or, or you, don't, you don't recognize me, or, or you do something differently than me, and, or you... you, you comment on my life or my kids or something like that, then I take offense. And then it causes division with the heart of Christians and people. I take offense. And any people, right? We take offense, and, but it's just bait, right? Uh, I will tell you, you know, within the church, um, you know, I, I wasn't raised in the church, so I never really walked into a church until I was, I was 15. In the church, I've experienced... Uh, the greatest joys in my life. Uh, I've been a part of the most amazing, joyful, wonderful things within the church. I've also experienced my greatest heartaches. I've experienced my greatest um, just hurts. Um, and I've also probably hurt people the most within the church. And it means that we're family. Because if I'm in close enough proximity that, that I can hurt someone or they can hurt me, it means that we're around each other. It means that we're, we're really opening up our lives to each other. And it's not that you want that, but it, but it happens. And so the key is, is to not give extra traction to the spiritual powers, right? Which is, look, if, as a Christian, we all are before the cross, the cross is the centering point of all history. And yes, the resurrection into that new life. But without the cross, the resurrection doesn't mean much. Because sin was paid for. And if I read it right, it's that every person, that their life for what they did, their sin was nailed to the cross. That Jesus took that, that, that punishment for sin upon himself. And then if I'm a follower of his, I'm recognizing that he paid the price for the things that I've done, how I've missed the mark. And so the cross is this great equalizer, right? It's when you're, you're walking around and there's somebody that's like, really, they really think they're hot stuff and they're doing stuff and, you know, maybe they're taking over your project at work or whatever and you're walking down the hallway one day and they trip. You're like, yes, you know, no, you don't want to be like that, right? But in other words, when somebody trips or something like that or messes up, it's an equalizer. In other words, like we all are human, right? Well, for us as Christians, it's the cross, which is like no one can boast at the cross. No one can stand pridefully at the cross. The only thing we can do at the cross is kneel because that's how we enter into the kingdom of God is lowly 
and just recognizing our need for God and that we need him. And so we have that within relationships. And so we recognize that the battle is on. And, and the reason that churches or people don't end up really taking ground spiritually in the battle is because they end up, they are fighters. Churches are fighters. There is an army, right? But they end up fighting with one another. And so if I were to say one thing that we could implement is that don't get offended, right? Seek first to understand. Don't get offended, and then you'll see amazing things happen. And then recognize, you know what? The cross can handle anything. The cross can handle the greatest offense or the thing that was done to me or said to me. I can go to that. Because it's, 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 that, it's that like secret handshake, you guys, with a Christian. In other words, it's like, what does it say? It says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And so that's the thing. Now you understand. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't always work that way. I get it. But as a person that's sensitive to what God's doing, I want to go to that place of saying, you know what? Yeah, that's stunk, or that's not great what they said, or that's not great what they did. But you know what? I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to ask them to come there too, and let's, let's heal this up. Uh, as we continue on, we see that, um, that there was, uh, you know, as Paul goes throughout and all these miracles are happening, there's these seven sons of Sceva. That's not like a metal band. Uh, you know, that would be a great name, right? But, um, but seven sons of Sceva, they teach us that partnering with God is not about magic or mechanical. So you see Paul do the different things with the handkerchief and the stuff. Or it's not like a power, like you watch Star Wars and, you know, use the force. That's not how we work with God. It's not about channeling something or doing something, but he's a person that we're with. So these Sceva, there were seven sons, and Sceva was a Jewish priest. And what we see is this in verse 13 of chapter 19. It's somewhat humorous. It says, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding, right? So here's what you got to understand, though. They made it in the Bible, okay? Not bad, okay? <laughs> they made it in there. Um, they, they were somewhat, yeah, I mean, you, you have to give them uh, chops for, for stepping up and, and wanting to be a part of this. But they miss the part that partnering with God and moving with God in power has to do with relationship. See, here's the thing. Everything that God has, which is everything, the kingdom of God is yours. You lack nothing. You actually lack nothing today. You can walk in here and say, well, if I had this, and, or if I had this, or if I had that, I, my life would be together, right? That's the greatest lie. That's the greatest distraction is if I could just get this job or if I could just be with that person or if I could just do this thing or if I could just make more money. The greatest lie is, is, that, is that actually everything is yours, but it's through relationship with God. And so you don't get there unless you have relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that you get it all then or anything like that, but what it means is, is that he says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Or don't worry about what you're going to eat. Or don't worry about these things. But first seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So in Jesus, all the things that we really desire come, including power to be able to set people free and do these things. Next, we see that um, 
you know, Matthew 6, 3 through 6, it, I'm not gonna, we're not going to read it, but it's this passage where Jesus is talking to them about giving, <coughs> and he's saying, you know, don't, don't give so that everybody sees. In other words, you know, shout it from the rooftop. I, I gave this much, and, you know, look what an impact it's having. Uh, Jesus was saying, you know, do it in secret, give in secret, and then what you give, God will reward you openly, like what's done in secret. And then he says, talks about, too, that, um, you know, to pray. And he says, to pray in secret, and then God rewards you openly. And I will tell you, you guys, we look at Scripture, and we see Paul and all these guys. They didn't come to the table with anything different than you and I. They, weren't, they didn't have different materials that they were made with. They had different callings and different positions that they held. But what they did is they built relationship with Jesus. And when we build relationship with Jesus, we do it in secret. See, spiritual giants aren't formed publicly, out in the public. Spiritual giants, people that really have a big impact spiritually on this world, on this life, which point spiritually is all that's going to last. So we can make as big an impact on the physical world and this physical stuff as, as we want. But if I don't make an impact spiritually, then nothing lasts. That's why it talked about like burning away the dross from the gold or burning away the, 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 the weeds or pulling up the weeds or burning away the chaff. Because that's what lasts. It's the spiritual that lasts. It's the real that there. And spiritual giants are formed in the mundane, in the quiet, in the simple parts of life. You don't get to flow spiritually and, and powerfully in those things out front. It's building that inner life with Jesus. I remember uh, I started out as a pastor at a very large church in Southern California, and, and so thousands and thousands of people, and was there for nine years, and uh, there was a staff meeting one day, and you know, as you get things bigger and, and, you know, you have different things you have to go off of. And one of my mentors, he was just very irreverent, you know, and so he, and, but he was, he moved in great power in life and he was very imperfect uh, as well. But he wrote me this note and I still have it. I've kept it. And, and it says, all of this is just the machine, you know, like what we're talking about right now, you know, and you have certain responsibility, you've got to do some of the machine. But then he said, he said, Jesus was first with the Father and then with the people. And that's what it's about. And so if you, I mean, and it applies to this too, you guys. Like you want a better marriage? You want to be a better dad? You want to be a better mom? You want to be a better business owner? You want to be a better salesperson? You want to be a better neighbor? Any of those things, be first with the Father and then go out and do that. That's where it happens. So any impact that you want in life with people, it's going to be built in that inner life, that inner seeking after him. And so it is with the spiritual battle too and partnering with him. And so what we see in this passage too is we see that other kingdoms flee as well. And so uh, many of those who believed, uh, uh, it says in verse uh, 19 and 18, it says, many of those who believed now and came openly and confessed what they had done, a number who had practiced sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which is a lot of drachmas. 
Okay? And so also, too, it says that in verse 20, in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And so anytime that you have something growing in power, you have something else that loses power. It's just the way that it is. I was think, I've, have teenagers, and I was realizing that, that, that if, you know, the things that, like, we have drivers now, and, and so if I, it means I get in the driver, uh, the passenger seat, and hold on for dear life, right? But I give up my power, and my power is different now. So it is spiritually. So as, as the word of the Lord spreads, power is there, and, and, and so there's a battle. And then 2, verse 23, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. So this causes problems as well. And so in the rest of the chapter, uh, these people, because they're losing money. You know, if you want to have a disturbance in things, let people get hit in the pocketbook. And so as people were turning away, they were burning their scrolls and they were, they were getting rid of their idols, idols of gold and silver. And, and this, so this guy stood up and he says, these guys say that the things that we build with hands are not gods at all, but they're just, they're just items. And so everybody got riled up and it was hurting them financially. And so they actually grabbed a bunch of the Christians and, and took, this is in Ephesus. They took them to the, the center of the town and, and you know, caused this biggest disturbance and there was all sorts of problems that went on and, and you know, it ended up getting sorted out. Just kind of like, hey, you guys are causing problems with Roman law by assembling by this and you're going to get in trouble. Um, but it was all about uh, you know, Artemis. Uh, and so uh, Diana... Uh, in classic mythology, her temple in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world. And, you know, it continues today, this kind of worship in different realms. Uh, it's the uh, d- divine feminine that, that some worship today. You might hear it talked about, and, and it continues on. The, the hard thing with the divine feminine, feminine, and sometimes it's a rejection of, well, you know, God is referred to as male. The problem with it is if you just say it's just feminine, we're going to worship that, and it's all about this, the problem is, is that you're, you're still missing out because God is referred to as he and father because he was, during the time of a, a patriarchal society, okay, very patriarchal, just way back when, uh, that's what it was about. And so he's referred to that way. But if we read scripture correctly, correctly and we look at it, God, it's totally correct and we should continue to call him he because that's how he set it out, okay? But God created who? Man and woman. To represent what? His image, what he's like. And so God is both male and female in reality, okay? It's not about the divine feminine of these things, but in reality, we refer to him as father, we refer to him as God, but if you want to know, look at his offspring, male and female. That's his reflection. Jesus used the term in the New Testament. He says, you know, I've, I've wanted to just, you know, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why wouldn't you come to me? I've longed to just go to you as a mother hen with her chicks. And so, and there's other references as well. And so, uh, you know, this worship here of Diana and how it continues today, it's, 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 it's missing the point altogether. Uh, and so we're also, too, is our traditions is that we're t- a team of runners. You know, the, the Leduc family, that, right? You guys ran a 5K uh, yesterday, right? Yesterday? How'd your time come in? It was good? Okay, under 30? Yeah, I bet. I bet. I know. Yeah, I bet. And so I, I, I would like to get under 30. That's what I'm just saying. So I just want to live vicariously through you. So the last one I ran was, I, I think I did 34, but I, I was going for style points. So <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, crawl across the thing. So, uh, so as we go into chapter 20, we see that we're te- a team of runners. 
uh, an interesting story as you read this on your own. In Troas, Paul goes and he preaches so long in this house. So it's a house party, okay? And Paul's in town. Paul preaches all night long. And then in the middle of the night, I think possibly two or three in the morning, middle of the night, um, Eutychus is sitting in this window. So there's just so many people. He's sitting in this window that Eutychus falls asleep because Paul's preaching so long and he falls out the window and dies, right? And so what Paul does is, is everybody's freaking out. Gosh, you know, why do you have to go so long? And, and so I've gone long before, but never had that happen. But Paul goes over and he, he, he prays for the guy and the guy comes back to life. And then it says, he goes back in and preaches till morning and then takes off. I mean, just, just you know, somewhat humorous story. Um, but we see that in verse uh, 21 through 24, we see that how Paul views himself as, as a runner, and, and we're runners too. In verse 21, it says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that the prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul saw his life as a race, and in verse 24, that's the key. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. So, and he's able to say his task. So it is with you guys. Know your task. Know, know like where your, um, you know, where your realm is. Know, where, know like your sweet spot, where you're supposed to be in life. What are you supposed to do? And it'll grow over time as you're faithful with it. But just to be able to know, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, what are you doing? And for a long time, again, for me, years ago, I, in my 20s, I said, what am I supposed to do? Because there's all these pressures, expectation from people, expectations from, you know, your sense of what you expect from God, expectations of yourself. And, and so I, as I prayed about it, the Lord spoke this, teach people to follow me. Got it, okay? But, but then it expanded more. Teach people to follow me and be a, um, be a facilitator of life and ministry for people. So life is that I would introduce and help people to step into the life that they have available to them in Christ. That they would not just experience uh, what we call bios life, right? Bios life is, is just, any living thing has bios life. It's biology. It just, it has life. It's, it's not dead, right? Humans have that. Animals have that bios life. It's just basic. But see, what Jesus shares and what the New Testament shares is that, is that there's something called Zoe life. And Zoe life is the life of God that he shares with us. And that it's not just something that, it's not like grandkids where you have them for a bit and you drop them off, okay? But Zoe life is, is the life of God that comes and lives in me. That's where Jesus in John 15 said, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you think of vines and you know, the life of the vine flows into the branches. And so that's my task. Help people step into that life, okay? Live the life, and that includes marriages and everything that's there and, and kids and careers and all those things. And then ministry too, right? Well, you know, what is my ministry? Who am I supposed to minister to? What am I supposed to do? We're all gifted uniquely and so. So those are the things. So, so my challenge to you is, is if you're not able to answer that and say, well, what is my race? 
Like, what is the race I'm supposed to run? And, and it includes people. It always includes people. You know, what, what is it you're supposed to do? Uh, and so we're a team of runners. Paul wrote something to Timothy similar. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And lastly, uh, we see that we are, we are surrendered to Jesus. So remember, these are family traditions. These are key things that we need to remember. And so uh, basically at this point in, uh, in chapter 21, uh, you know, Paul is, is there, and, and they're making their way out of the journey to Jerusalem. And so what happens is, is, is that Paul, all the while, is saying, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And, and all of his uh, traveling partners, including Luke, who's writing this, you'll hear him say, we, they say, hey, you know, they're going to arrest you. They're going to kill you there. And Paul just says, you know, I'm doing, I think God wants me to go to Jerusalem. I think that's what it is. And so there's this gathering of people. And, uh, and so they get together and this prophet uh, comes in the midst and he, he grabs Paul's belt. And he says, you know, the, the, the wearer of this belt is going to be, you know, strapped by it and, and taken, you know, taken into captivity in, you know, in Jerusalem. And, you know, it was, it was Paul's. And so everybody's like, no, you know, you can't. You know, you can't get, you know, imprisoned. You can't stop what you're doing. Uh, and, but Paul knew something else. And, and as they worked with him, when they asked him, this is what it says at the end of this. And you guys, if we're surrendered to Jesus as people, if that's a family tradition, this is our sweet spot. This is something that keeps our hearts right. And it says, when we... When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And it's not like a trite thing, just like, well, the Lord's will be done, or whatever the Lord wants, right? No, it's just really saying, like, we really, if God has a greater purpose for him to go and be imprisoned and do that, then, then, then so be it. But this is really our sweet spot as followers of Jesus, because as we say, you know, the Lord's will be done, it me, this provides for deferring and serving one another. So in other words, what I'm saying is, is I'm saying that not my will be done, but the Lord's will be done. And so it puts us into a position where I defer to you. You see this in the Trinity. Because remember, the church, ultimately this family, is being a picture of God. And when we are serving and learning and healing and taking ground and doing these things, the world will see a clear picture of Jesus. And so this gives us a chance to defer and, and, and serve one another. In other words, if it's not about me enforcing my will upon everybody else. And this is the church and into a, into a home, into a marriage, into a family. But it's actually this, there's this tension there. I don't just get to call the shots. I don't get to just say how everything's going to be. But there's this tension there that I have to live within because I'm surrendered to Jesus. It also provides for waiting wrestling and persevering. And so I don't just take the reins of my life and just make things happen. But I, if God says wait, then I'm going to wait. If God is kind of pushing pressure against me as I'm going after something, I'm going to wrestle. You know, and if everything's against me and everything's looking bad, I'm going to persevere. And this provides for sharpening too, where we all hop into the mix and we make each other better. We all hop in the mix and we, we really work with each other. We really we, we, we work 
to help each other get better. Uh, it's interesting, my, my boys, one of the things that we really enjoyed um, when they were little is, is wrestling, and they still want to. And, and especially the big one, it, it's, it's kind of like, you want to wrestle? And, and now he's trained, too. He's dangerous. He's wrestled on the high school team. And when they were little, it was like I was teaching them things and teaching them how to, you know, kind of, you know, enforce your will on, on another guy and help get better and strengthen, right? But now it's kind of like it hurts. <laughs> and and, and there's, there's three of them. And, uh, and the little one is, is strong, too. And so they come together, and it's this thing of like, and I know this, that if I say, uh, let's wrestle with one of them, it, pretty quick, I hear the, not the pattering of feet like it used to be, but the pounding of feet, you know? And then the dog gets on the mix, too. And he starts barking, and, and he'll start grabbing around my ankle. Not hard, but so now I've got four of them against me. But what I've learned is, 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 is that we sharpen each other. They, they learn how to be in relationship and grow. And, and, and that's what we're in, you guys. The church, the church of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, incredibly flawed. But, it, but it's just so good. And so we're a school, we're a hospital. So it's a place to learn, it's a place to get healed up. We, we, are, we, are, we are absolutely an army that's taking ground. We're a team, we're running together. And ultimately, we're surrendered to Jesus. Surrendered to him, asking whatever he wants. Doesn't that sound good? That sound like a place? It's not a place that's all settled. It's not a place where everything's set and perfect. It's a place that's moving because there's a person involved and, and he's greater than all of us and he has an ultimate will. But it's just so fun, this journey that we're on. So let's stand together and we'll worship, closing a worship song here. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.